0: So, Ryan, I guess there is a football game today. Um, I don't know why some sports can't, like, end their season before the year ends, like most things do, but football seems to struggle with so many bowls, like Tenactin Bowl, Lysol Bowl, so many different things that are, like, it just keeps going and going and going. But there is a big game today here. And uh, so baseball has its own challenges, right? You guys familiar with what's been going on in baseball? The sign-stealing scandal, you familiar with that? So moment of honesty here, because this came up at my family dinner table this week, and I'm not going to like mention any names, but like how many of you actually thought the baseball sign-stealing scandal like about something like this. <laughs> like, I see a few people shaking their head. Thank you for your honesty there. I'm a little disappointed I've failed, failed so deeply in educating even members of my own family, let alone <laughs> the congregation. But it is a new decade. It's a new year. You know, that has been heavy for me um, in some ways, new year, new decade. I think uh, with our move here, there's just been a sense of, uh, I don't even have good language for it yet, but just a sense of, God, what, what are you doing uh, in us, in me? Where are you, how are you leading us? So I've, I've done quite a bit of sitting with God over the last several weeks, just with that, those questions. And We began a conversation a couple weeks ago uh, about that. We, we looked at a few sentences in, in an ancient song that said this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. We started there. Today we're going to take that conversation forward uh, a little bit. We're going to personally engage uh, another ancient song, Psalm chapter 90, this morning. As we do this this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, with, with your words, with the posture of your, your body, to really join in. The, the movement of this psalm, and if you're a guest, don't worry, we're not getting ready to do something crazy or weird. You're not going to get put on the spot. I'm just going to give you the opportunity to, by standing or by quoting a refrain that I'll give you, to just kind of join in what's being confessed and declared uh, with this ancient community. We're actually inviting another congregation into the room with us today. Uh, Better said, they're perhaps inviting us uh, into the room. We're joining a community that is in conversation with their God. Uh, I'm going to read and speak from that conversation, Psalm chapter 90. And then in a few minutes, I'll give you opportunity then again later this morning to join in their proclamation, their confession. Why don't we stand now? Uh, together, And I'll just read the psalm. It'll be on the overhead, or you can use your Bible or the ones in the backs of the pews if you choose to do that. If you're not familiar with the Bible, psalm's right in the middle. So if you open one of those Bibles in the middle, you'll find it in chapter 90. It reads this way, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, Or, before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years that we've seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor. To their children, may the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands, and that will be our prayer today. And all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat. So this is one person pinning... The words and the sentiment of a collective people. A congregation. A congregation addressing God. Lord, is the first word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Place. We've talked quite a bit about place lately, if you've been with us the last few weeks. Place. God not only intervenes in human history in time, but place. He's not an abstract idea. He's not a smoky vapor. He actually engages humanity, the world, his creation, tangibly in time and in place. Now, it's much, much bigger than us. Our language can't grasp it, nor our understanding very well but he is active he's not something that you place on a shelf or someone you just postulate about he really is god and he really isn't silent he's god so they're proclaiming and confessing something about this god who is there and not silent god you've been our dwelling place Our place to dwell, to be with, to reside, to find ourselves with. Dwell, rest. God, you've always been there for us. Wherever there has been, there you've been. Wherever our feet have been, wherever we have dwelled, God, you have dwelled with us. You have been our dwelling place. And they go on to confess, not just us, and not just now, or not just recently, but through all generations. God, you've been our dwelling place, all the history of our people. There's a cloud of witnesses. You know, the word cloud meant something more than just places where information is stored. A long time ago, cloud would be used to refer to a people who had gone before. A cloud of witnesses who are now looking on all our history god you've been with the cloud all generations you've been with us
1: they go on to say before the mountains were born
0: or before you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are god place, time. Before time, before mountains, try to imagine that one. Before physical earth, before social world, there was God there dwelling. So this congregation is declaring, we know of no time nor place. Where God has not been there. I think that's worth our pausing. Can we personalize this? Can you personalize this for your life? Can we do so for us as a community? Can we join this congregation? In confessing, in proclaiming, and declaring what they're declaring. You have been our dwelling place. You've been my dwelling place. Can you say that? About God. God, wherever my feet have been, you have been there. In the dark times, you have been there. In the victories of my life, you have dwelled with me. We certainly know that as a community. It, it began with a call to a number of people to move their lives here. That call was met, at least in my case, with initial resistance. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't on my radar. But God, our dwelling place, leads. He engages, He calls. He calls out. He calls people to rise up. So He's called us and He's also developed us. He's growing, He has grown us. He continues to grow us. He continues to walk with us. More recently, a move, a move to this building. A community, Bridgepoint Church, showing an open hand and a generous heart. God's been in that. We believe that. Can you say God has been our dwelling place? Can you say God has been my dwelling place? Can you say that? I want to invite you to, we're going to practice this. This is an ancient discipline. So it's going to be very, very simple. Um, the confession that I want to invite you to make verbally is either to stand and say, Lord, you've been my dwelling place. Or, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. You can say it just for your own life. That's why it like you just like to, just like to put those words out there in the community. You've been my dwelling place, or you've been ours. You want to say it collectively. Some of you may like, don't ask me to use words. Not in this room. And that's great. Some of you may just want it by by posture, by standing, saying, Lord, you have been my dwelling place. I'm not real comfortable putting the words out there in the room, but I can stand. I can do that. So, let's do that. And we're going to do it like, we're not going to like all stand and say it at the same time. Maybe we'll do that in a minute at the end. But we're going to do it like popping popcorn. Just stand and say, Lord, you've been my dwelling place. It doesn't matter if three people walk over each other. That's not. We're not trying to like take track of who said it and who didn't. Just stand and say it. Lord, you've been my dwelling place. Um, I'm going to give you a minute or two, so it's not like we want this to happen in 15 minutes. This is our entering the narrative of Scripture as followers of God, as a people of God, declaring and confessing. So, whoever goes first, go first. Thank you, Linda. And just remain standing, if you would, as y'all do this, because we're all going to stand together at the end. And there's no pressure to stand, so we're, we're not doing that.
1: Let's say it together. You ready?
0: Lord, you... Amen. You can have a seat. The next several lines in this psalm are going to bring us a turning. A turning of thought, of voice, even of, of mood. Because the congregation is, as they're making this confession, they're kind of drinking this warm cup of coffee with God. And how He's always been with them, and as they're reflecting on that relationship with Him. They're not just feeling closeness with God, proximity with God, but something else begins to happen. You've probably caught it when we read it earlier. Distance also shows up. Difference from God, dissonance, distinction. There's a somber awareness, self-awareness collectively. They start to fill a gap between themselves and God. So right after saying, you've been my dwelling place, they say this to him, God, you turn people to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight, 15 generations are like a day that just goes by for you. It's just like a night. You sweep people away. We had two funerals this week, not necessarily immediately in a community, but one woman that used to be a part of this fellowship. Michelle was buried yesterday, and then Dustin Nelson's dad was Buried on Friday, just like that. They're like the new grass of the morning, they confess. The morning it springs up new, and by the evening it's dry and it's withered. It's gone. Mortal.
1: We're mortal. You are mortal. We start from dirt.
0: And to the dirt we return. Mortal. Fifteen generations to God is just like a nap. Relatively speaking. Mortal. We're swept away in the sleep of death. We spring up green. By nightfall we are withered. You've been our dwelling place God but... We have this awareness in your presence that we are not like you. We're not like that. You are always here. We are here and then we're gone. We're here and then we're not. And this reflection is going to get even more sober for them because they start seeing and feeling this isn't accidental. This morality that envelops us, that covers us, that we wear, that that we feel as we age. It's not natural. It's not what we were made for. There's something behind the mortality, the breaking down, or maybe better said, someone. Because just as they said, Lord, you are our dwelling place. Now they're saying, Lord, you turn people back to dust. You sweep them away. God, you're doing this. This isn't a random evolutionary process going on here. This this isn't something impersonal. God, you are doing it. And this is hitting the community hard. As it hits us hard when Dustin lost his father, when Nick lost Michelle, and her kids lost her in People you've loved, you've lost. It's hitting them hard. It's a there's a sober wake you upness, if that's a word, to it. It's visiting them. They're, They're coming to terms with the reality that they're not the center of the universe. All things don't flow through them. There's an otherness that they're experiencing between themselves and God. They are in his presence. And they feel this great distinction. We are mortal. And the confession begins to turn now in just to a confession, but into a lament. A lament. They begin wailing. We are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your indignation. All they can conclude from what they're seeing in the world. And what they're feeling is that God must be angry with us. He must be indignant by our very existence. He says, for you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins even are right there on display in the light of your presence. You know, we can't be in the presence of God, honestly. Without feeling what they're voicing here. When you really come in the presence of a holy God, no one has to tell you that you're not holy, that you're not in the presence of something very, very different. You have set our iniquities before you. That's what you're feeling. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's a sense of what this community is feeling is guilty. Not just the guilty not just guilty, but accountable. That's what they're feeling. This Genesis story, this Adam and Eve rebelling, declaring independence, doing their own way. This is what they're feeling. This is what they've lived. Let's be honest, this is what you've lived. It's what I've lived. Guilt, accountability, rebellion, sin, refusing to live. Under God, rejecting trust-filled obedience from God. Surely you can locate yourself in that story. In your time and your place. Guilty, accountable. Our story, this isn't some ancient tale. Our story is being told. What we've sowed in the dark will be exposed in the light. The lament continues. Our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 or 80 years if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Lament. We feel that too, don't we, sometimes?
1: We feel that reality. Not just mortal, not just accountable, but
0: but brevity. The years quickly pass. We pass. They're not just united in around God's been our dwelling place. They're united as commoners in this expression of their mortality, of their accountability before a holy God. They're united in these fleeting years of toil and trouble. They're having to face their fragility, their vulnerability. You feel that sometimes, your fragility? The the fleeting nature of your days? Your brokenness? This is not a people unfamiliar with God who are saying these things. These are people who have met God. These are people who have just confessed, you are our dwelling place. They discovered his nearness. They know his steadfastness through generations, but now they're meeting their own mortality, their own weakness. Left alone
1: with this reality. Left on their own. They're describing desperation.
0: Complete and utter isolation. Aloneness. And they're, and they're living with this reality that yeah we're together today, but this, is, this isn't going to last. Not like this. They're feeling all those things. Brevity, immortality. Guilt, accountability. They're in God's presence. And they're in this juxtaposed position between... Immortality, Almighty, Holy God in themselves. And, and, and they're really left with one thing. There's only one thing they can do. You see it? Ask. Ask. Ask God to give them. Ask God to do for them what they cannot do about this situation. What they're unable to do. And that's what they do. They start asking. They say, teach us to number our days. This, this reality in which we find ourselves. God, would you help us know how to live in it? Would you teach us how to number our days that we may live wisely and, and not just waste these few minutes we've got on this big rock? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. These days are short. God, we need to know how to live. I think that's a little bit what I've, I've been feeling as the decade flipped. It's just a number our days. They're offering themselves to God as, as apprentices. Would you be our teacher, God? Show us. That was the first ask, but they were just getting started. There's an urgency. There's a passion. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion. There's the next request. Have compassion
1: on us. Something changes in the asking. Here.
0: With with, with that ask, show compassion. it's It's like something just cracked and some light got in. Like someone just opened a door, or maybe like when Jesus was baptized and says, "The clouds part or the heavens opened." They ask for God's compassion, and all of a sudden, the, the nature of the tone of the request gives way to hopeful, bold, courageous asking, shameless asking. They start asking for what they want. Not necessarily what they think they should ask for. They they get a little crazy. Satisfy us in the morning, Lord, with your unfailing love. That we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. God, make us sing. You ever just burst out in song? Because your heart's so full, maybe you whistle. Daniel Pons whistles when his heart's full. He's the best. should do it at our talent show. Make us sing, Lord, and satisfy us. They, they're going from being overwhelmed with the gap to ask, they're now asking God to close it. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we've seen trouble. Now some of you, you actually have your Bibles open, and when you saw Psalm 90, you saw a little subtitle under that. Anybody shout it out? What's under the Psalm 90? It says a song of Moses. That's interesting, isn't it? Moses didn't write this psalm, we don't think. But it's called A Song of Moses. You know why? Here's the best guess. Because as as this was written, the people reflected back. And someone later said, I'm going to call this the Song of Moses, an editor. They called it that because this, this reminds us of Moses' life and the children of Israel's life. All the trouble he went through. Wandering in exile for 40 years... And then wandering for another 40 years with his people, the desert. So make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. We think of old Moses. Make us glad for all our trouble. And may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. That's a bold request. Do you you understand that? What they're asking God for? They're saying, God, show us yourself. Show us your work, your hand. Do you see how the questioning, the asking is changing? And then comes the biggest ask of all. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. They're saying, don't just show up, God. Do it like you like us. Show us your favor. Establish the work of our hands. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. Take this toilsome labor we do and get in the middle of it with us. You know, when you're in the presence of God and you have some awareness of who He is and who you are, And you feel the exposure of your mortality and your brokenness. It's really hard to ask these kinds of questions casually. It's really hard to ask these kinds of questions selfishly. Because your perspective has changed. You you have some awareness of... Who you're dealing with. With what you're dealing with.
1: And, and you have
0: a sense, whether you have language for it or not, if I'm going to ask this, I better be ready to receive it. If I'm really going to ask this, make me
1: sing, God. Move into my life and like it. Establish the work of my hands. Bless me.
0: You have to really want those things. This has to be transformed from what you think you're supposed to do. To learning to live the life you really want. The life that you long for. When you're in God's presence, you begin to understand those things. If I'm going to ask for His favor, I need to be ready to receive His favor. You know, receiving is, you know, we, when we're young, we just kind of want to take, give me, give me, give me. From mom and dad or God. And then as we begin to understand what we're dealing with, we understand that to receive God's favor, there's a humility that we need. There's a readiness and a willingness to to actually receive what God has for us. There's a, actually there's a, another word. There's a responsibility in receiving what God has for us. You have to really want your thing. These things. It's like asking your uncle for a pony ride, and he gives you his ranch. And it's not, the point of that doesn't mean you have to know how to be responsible with a ranch, it just needs to know you just got a ranch. It's no small thing. Receiving God's favor, the creator of the universe, for him to be favorable for you, to you, upon you, is no small thing. It will prove to exceed your greatest expectations, though often it doesn't feel like it or look like it. You need a lot of grace to receive God's favor in your life. We need a lot of grace to receive God's favor in your life. It will cost you to receive God's favor in your life.
1: It's free, but it is not cheap. It means you're going to have to stop some things.
0: It's going to mean you have to learn to think differently. You can't say, I'm not worth it, or I can't, or I'm too far gone, or too unlovely, or too broken. That language has to stop because you're receiving God's favor. You can't say, I don't have the energy or the capacity. We can't do this. We have to to stop thinking that way. What do you want said of you at the end of your life? That he really lived within his limits? Or she trusted God to do what she could not. And she saw him do it. It will cost you to receive God's favor. Because He wants to bless you. Listen to some of the words in the New Testament that describe His favor. Grace, mercy, loving kindness, immeasurably more, eternal, life, forgiveness, justification, holiness, glory. Those are some of the words that describe God's favor on your life. He's not going to force those things on you. But when he does, when you ask for it, it will change things. And then the last request, this is where we'll end. They say, God, establish the work of, your hand, of our hands. Establish it. You know, in, in order to really ask that honestly, whatever you're clutching, it's got to be let go. You can't have both. You can't clutch your life. And your possessions, and your relationships, and your work, and your future, and your health or your sickness, and honestly ask God to establish the work of your hands. This has to happen. Last week, Dave spoke on God's will, and he showed us a passage in the book of Acts. Some of you were here in Acts 16. Uh, Paul and his The Apostle Paul and his team was traveling to cities to find places to take the gospel. And they kept thinking they were going to the next city, the right place, and they'd get there and the door was closed, so to speak. They couldn't get in. Or God communicated to them, no, wrong place. This happened a few times. And Dave's comment was, we think when those things happened, that was a mistake. No, they were just doing the best they could with the knowledge they had. But then, God showed his favor. God spoke to Paul in a dream. He said, go to Macedonia. That's where I'll be. And then Paul had a choice. See, this was a free vision. It wasn't cheap. After failing, so to speak, a few times and going to the wrong places, he had to decide, am I going? And remember, Dave said it took Hundreds of days to get to some of these places on foot. He had to save his team. Guess what? I told you we were going to Bithynia. We're not going there. We're going to Macedonia now. That's on the other side of the sea. Paul had a choice to ignore or obey the voice of God, the favor of God. It meant obedience. And he did. He obeyed. And you know what? God opened doors that neither he or his team could ever imagine. You can read the book of Acts. Unbelievable stuff happened from there. Philippi, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus. So he writes the church in Corinth, don't receive God's grace in vain. Know what you're dealing with. In the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. We believe God has led us here to this place. It's not about the place so much. We just understand that God works in time and place. He's given us grace to be here. I believe this is the time for us to seek God's favor. I don't believe we can move in good ways forward without His favor on us. Our intellect, our strength, our creativity, our strategies, our ambitions will not take us in good and healthy ways forward. We must have His favor. It doesn't mean we can't afford to make mistakes. Even with His favor, we will continue to make mistakes. But we need His hand on us. We need Him to establish the work of of our hands. I I read this morning in my time with God, Jeremiah chapter 2, and God says this through the prophet. He says, people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me. Secondly, they've built broken cisterns. Cisterns that can't hold water. It was his way of saying, you're doing things your way. That scares me, honestly. We cannot manufacture God's favor. All we can do is ask. That we can do. That's how we're going to end our time. We're going to ask for His favor. Not flippantly, not casually. um, But awareness of who He is. Who we are. Before we ask, and I'll give you an instruction on what asking will look like. I want you to see, you'll be on the overhead, this reminder of what we're dealing with. From the New Testament, the book of Hebrews says this, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a priest over the house of God. He's talking about Jesus here. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Those are strong words, those are bold, courageous, happy words. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed, made clean with pure water, no longer guilty. Not because we did it. Because we ask. And Christ met us. In our mortality, in our brokenness. In all the things that we aren't and couldn't be. Christ met us. So he says, then let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Christ has made coming before God a safe endeavor for us. It's a safe thing for us to do. To ask our Savior, our Lord, our brother, our Redeemer, our friend, to show His favor upon us. That's the insanity of the gospel. The unfairness of the gospel. We get to receive the benefit of that. We didn't deserve it. But through Christ, we come to God without guilt. If you've not yet trusted Christ with your whole life, you don't yet understand that. That the guilt that was yours, Christ placed. He took it. God placed on Christ. So now we come before Him freely, courageously, yes, humbly, but boldly. And we ask
1: in freedom,